Good morning, everyone. This morning, we enter into the crucifixion narrative. And according to the timeline, uh, last night, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, the traitor, his own disciple. And he was taken away before his disciples and brought before all of the leaders of uh, the Jewish people, most notably the high priest. And they asked him if he was the son of God, and he answered that he was. And they condemned him as deserving death because of his supposed blasphemy. And we pick up the narrative in Mark chapter 15. This is the word of God. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You've said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate again said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and they were spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and they put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, 
the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews... And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right side and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and of Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud 
And taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Blair has read for us the word of God, the history of this day that we celebrate. And it's amazing to me to think that for some 2,000 years all around the world, as the gospel spread, every year we have marked the crucifixion of a man in Jerusalem, just outside of town, and the significance of that event for human history. Now, what I want us to do now is to read an ancient text, the Word of God, that was written almost 800 years before this event took place. And this reminds us that this has always been God's plan to send forth His Son, to carry our sins in His body, to be nailed to a wooden cross, to die in our place, so that we might live. So I want to read to you from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 52, 13 to 53, verse 10. Would you please stand? Isaiah 52, 13. This is the word of God. Behold, my servant, he shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, yes, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouth because of him. For that which has not been told to them they see. That which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty, that we should look at him, no beauty, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Oh, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us Peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? They made his grave with the wicked, And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Oh God, when we read this prophecy, written hundreds of years before the event itself, we marvel at its accuracy. And we tremble at what it reveals about the death of Christ. Crucified for us, our sins laid on him, though he was without sin, it was your will to crush him, to put him to grief because we sinned. Lord, have mercy. Help us to reflect on this central event in all human history. Help us to commit ourselves to the one who died for us so that just as he has been raised from the dead, so we might be raised to be with him. Glorify yourself by revealing to us the crucified and risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Pray this in the name of our King. Amen. Please be seated. This passage almost needs not uh, exposition. It's so clear. Uh, It has described for us what it is that we are doing here. We are here to celebrate that God sent forth Jesus Christ to be crucified. And we see verses that remind us of the crucifixion. Though, as I said, these were written hundreds of years before the event actually took place. Uh, I'll just read a couple of them over for you. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And as from one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. And and we read in the gospel account that, that people circled the cross and mocked him and wagged their heads at him and spit at him and said, if you're the Son of God, come down from there. They didn't esteem him. They considered him stricken and smitten by God. There's verse 7. He was oppressed. 
He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He could have opened his mouth and brought down judgment on the world, but he didn't. And as he was tried in this uh, uh, contrivery of a, of a trial, a mockery of an opportunity to plead his case, he kept his mouth shut. And then like a lamb led to slaughter, he fulfilled the whole sacrificial system in the Old Covenant by dying on the cross. Then there's verse 9. After he had died, they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Joseph of Arimathea, a wicked man, though a redeemed man, but we're all wicked. A rich man asked for the body and put the body of Jesus in his tomb, bringing this to perfect fulfillment. This passage not only predicts the events of the crucifixion, but this passage explains for us what we understand as atonement, substitutionary atonement, that, that somehow God takes our sin and drops it in the middle of history on Jesus Christ, and he pays for the sin uh, of the world. Every sin that preceded him, every sin that would come after him, all of your sin and my sin, the sin that we've already committed, the sin that we'll commit today, the sins that we'll commit tomorrow and next week and next month until the end of our lives. All of it paid for in this one moment in the middle of history while Jesus took the wrath of God, the penalty for our sin. We sang that he became sin for us. He didn't become a sinner, but he loaded himself up with our sin. And so we take a look at verses 4 to 6. Surely he's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. He's in our place. And yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And the unsaved world doesn't see themselves hanging in the body of Christ. They don't see their sins. They see a man who died for his own sins. But he was pierced for our transgressions, not his own. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that has brought us, not judgment, but what? Peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's not a, a person in this room who has put their faith in Christ for whom Christ did not die. And we have that in common. There's verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Again, stricken not for his own transgression, but for the transgression of God's people. There's verse 10. This was an awful moment. And yet, in verse 10, we see it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It is the Lord that has put him to grief. Now, on Good Friday, it is customary to focus on these verses. 
Uh, and we have spent a little time to remind ourselves of the events of the crucifixion. We've taken some time to remind ourselves of the implication, the, the significance of the crucifixion. But right now, uh, in the church, we're in a sermon series on resurrection. And it's not customary to think about the resurrection on Good Friday. Usually you have to say, well, Sunday's coming. We're, we're going to focus on the death today, and then Sunday will come on the third day, and then we will celebrate resurrection. But this year, what I want us to do now is transition. Not to Sunday. I want us to stay in Good Friday. But I want us to think about resurrection from the perspective of the cross. Resurrection from the perspective of the cross. Not resurrection from the perspective of after the resurrection, which is what we normally do, but resurrection from the perspective of the cross. That is, from the cross, as Jesus hung there, receiving the wrath of God, carrying our sin in his body, what was his view of resurrection? It was anticipatory. And yet, it was the thought of resurrection that enabled him to endure. It was the thought of resurrection that took this horrific moment and turned it into a moment of joy for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we keep reading in Isaiah 53, we see exactly this. We just said it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to put him to grief. Then look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This is an amazing verse. Because what it does, what, what the Gospels don't do, although I suppose when Jesus utters something from the cross, we can conjecture about what's going on inside his mind, inside his soul. But this verse goes beyond Jesus' own words, and it gives us a window into how Jesus was feeling as he hung on the cross. Out of the anguish of his soul, he was in anguish. What, what was the, the, the result or the cause of this anguish? Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it? He was in anguish because of the physical pain of crucifixion. We're told that there's no more painful thing that a human being can endure than to be crucified. It, it, it produces the maximum amount of pain. So out of this place of maximum physical pain, but also we know of the pain of spiritual exile from the Father, the spiritual pain of the load of sin that we heaped on him. Physical pain, spiritual pain. My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. What does that mean? He shall see and be satisfied. Well, let's start with satisfaction in spite of unparalleled suffering, physical, spiritual suffering. The one who has never sinned, the one who has always been and always will be, the one who created the world. 
unparalleled suffering, and yet he was satisfied. He found satisfaction, we're told here, in the moment of greatest anguish. In, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, we're told that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Despising its shame. He didn't enjoy being crucified. The night before, he asked the Father if there was any other way. And his anguish was so great even before the crucifixion that he sweat drops of blood. He did not enjoy crucifixion. And yet, there's something about being crucified that brought him joy. And it's what he saw. It is out of the anguish of his soul, he saw something. And that which he saw brought him satisfaction. In the next line, it says, by his knowledge. He knew something while he hung there on the cross. He saw something while he hung there on the cross. What did he see? What did he know? The answer to this is something we've already read. It's in the second half of verse 10. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, how? By crucifixion. So he knows that he's going to cru be crucified to make an offering for the guilt of the world. He shall see something. That's what it says, right? While he's making an offering for guilt, he sees something. He knows something. What does he see? He shall see three things. One, his offspring. Number two, the prolongation of his days. And number three, the will of the Lord that he shall prosper in his hand. So as Jesus hung there on the cross, he saw his offspring, that is, his children. He saw his own um, prolongation of days, and he saw prosperity in his hand. In a word, what he saw was resurrection. What he saw was the glory of resurrection on the other side of crucifixion. Uh, that's the only way to make sense of this. Let's take a look at each of these in order. Number one, what he saw is his offspring. Jesus never married. Jesus never produced a child. And yet, we're told that he has offspring. He has children. Exactly. Uh, he produced children in, in a unique way, in a way that no other person has ever produced a child through the blood of his cross. And we are his children. We are children of God when we load our sins on him, allow him to pay the penalty for our sin, and then we are born again. There's a birth. We are birthed by Jesus Christ, by grace through faith. And the only way that this is possible is by the death of Christ. And so he saw that and was satisfied. He saw that and that gave him joy to see his children. And, and he didn't just see children struggling with sin. That wouldn't have given him joy. To see us today it gives him some joy, but not the kind of joy that helps you endure through crucifixion. He saw uh, not only our new birth into spiritual life, but he saw that we would die and that we would be raised to life. He saw the resurrected glory of his children. He died for our resurrection. And that gave him joy. Secondly, we're told, he shall see the, pro, uh, the prolongation of his days. Now this is nonsensical. 
without resurrection. Jesus knew that he had moments to live. And yet while he was on the cross, he said, I have a lot of days left. What gave him joy was that he knew that he was going to rest in the tomb for one Sabbath and then be raised back to life. One Sabbath in the grave. And then he knew that God would not allow his Holy One to see corruption and he would be raised back to life. And that gave him satisfaction. That gave him joy to to show himself to his offspring in his resurrected glory. He longs for that and one day we will see him raised from the dead. Then thirdly, we're told the will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. We're told at the foot of the cross what happened. The only article of private property that he owned was gambled away. That's not prosperity. The very little that he had, not only was his life taken from him, but the little that he had was gambled away. But, but that's not what the prophet of God here says. He says that the Lord shall prosper his hand. Well, dying on a cross and having your clothes gambled away so that you own nothing, you literally die naked and ashamed. How does that find fulfillment here? Resurrection. In resurrected glory, we're told that, that though the Lord uh, w- was obedient to the point of death, that, that God has raised him up. And he has highly exalted him. And he has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, both the saved and the unsaved. And every tongue will confess, both the saved and the unsaved, that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the one who died for sin. He is the one who propitiated our sin, who died in our place. He's the one that was raised back to life. And you know what the Father gives to the Son? Prosperity. Everything that God has to give, He gives it to Christ. Everything. How much does God have to give? He has everything to give, and he gives it all to Christ. And this is the amazing thing. This is, I'm just going to tug on this, and then you can look it up in Ephesians 1. Do you know what Jesus does with that inheritance? He gives it to us. <laughs> that is amazing. And so while Jesus is dying on the cross, feeling cut off from the Father for the first time and only time in eternity, he he by his knowledge, by the things that he sees by faith. You see, Jesus had to see these things by faith, just as we have to see them by faith. He saw those things, and he was satisfied. He, he knew those things, and it gave him joy, even though he despised the cross. Jesus was able to endure the cross because he had an absolute confidence in the doctrine of resurrection. His own resurrection and our resurrection. What do we mean by resurrection? The body that we put in the grave came out of the grave. The bodies, ours, that we put in the ground, those bodies will come out of the ground. So personal impact. Let us never forget that Jesus, yes, he died for our sins, that doesn't quite go far enough. 
Now, it does if you know that what the implication of that is. But Jesus died for our bodily resurrection from the dead. That's why he died. That's why he agreed in eternity past to take on flesh, to become one of us, to die in our place, so that we could be raised from the dead. And so, yes, it's true that relationally everything is made right between us and God. It's true that we are forgiven. It's true that, that we have the right standing before God. It's true that we have no more shame. It's true that we have no more guilt. I don't want to un underplay those things, but if all of those things are true, then bodily resurrection from the dead caps it off. And you cannot have those other things without resurrection from the dead. So Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we, though we die, would come back to life. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. Anyone who believes in me, though he may die, so shall he live in bodies. Now, Imagine the pain that we inflict on our risen Lord when we ignore or deny that we will be raised from the dead. If that's why he went to the cross, if that was the source of his satisfaction, if that's what, what brought him joy, was that he would uh, share with us the inheritance of resurrected glory. He wants us to know the full extent of the gospel promises. And so on this Good Friday, what we want to do is to get inside his perspective on the cross, which is all about our, which is tied to his, resurrection. Let us not ignore or deny how important it is to Christ that we celebrate that we will be raised from the dead. That's why he went to the cross. Jesus endured unrivaled suffering by focusing on resurrection in the midst of crucifixion. I mean, how could he endure it? How do Christian martyrs endure their martyrdom? They focus on the greater truth, the greater hope, the greater glory, which is resurrection from the dead. Now, none of us have suffered like Christ. None of us have suffered like a Christian martyr. Have any of us spilled any blood, one drop, for the sake of Christ. It's so easy, nevertheless, to lose perspective in this life. Oh, we have trials. We have difficult circumstances, and I'm not downplaying those. They're real. They're painful. These trials and circumstances of life can eclipse the hope and the promise of the gospel. We can, we can have, from moment to moment, total amnesia about the things that we put our faith in. Life is going to be difficult. There's going to be trials, difficult circumstances. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering of every kind. Relational pain, emotional pain, physical pain. And ultimately, unless the Lord returns, we're all going to die. And some of us will pass into death very effortlessly. It'll happen in a moment, in an instant. For some of us, it's going to be drawn out. It's going to be painful. How do we persevere? Through the wilderness of this life. Well, the only way I can't promise to take it away. I'm not a prosperity preacher. 
I'm not a health and wealth preacher. Your life might be really hard. And if it hasn't been yet, it might yet still become really hard. I can't take that away. But the only way for us to endure, and this, this is a bomb greater than prosperity in this life. I can promise you with 100% confidence resurrection. I can promise you glorious riches in Christ. I can promise you all of the prosperity of the inheritance that belongs to the Son of God alone. Because according to His Word and according to His blood, He has written in His will that He wants to share it with us. So, so through the difficulties of life, we need to have a resurrection perspective. Not just a crucifixion perspective. And this is where the Gospel this is almost blasphemous, but you have to work with me to understand what I mean. The gospel can shortchange us if we don't actually know what it is that the gospel promises. If the gospel ends with crucifixion, if the gospel hope is crucifixion, if we just look to the death, to the death, to the death for our hope, it's incomplete. We look to the death because it's in the death that we are purchased for birth and resurrection with Christ. It's resurrection where we put our hope. Our hope is not in a crucified Christ, but in a resurrected Christ. And I'm not downplaying the cross. But the cross has meaning because the one that we nailed to it was raised from the dead. Praise be to God for this. And this is how Jesus Christ endured it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, for our guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Yes, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see these things and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. We're the many. God is going to divide these riches to Christ with the many, that is us. He shall divide the spoil with the strong he, because he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Oh, this is a good Friday. Because of Fridays, Sunday came. Because of death, resurrection shall come. And that's what we remember as we share in the table. And so I'm going to invite those who are going to distribute the elements to come forward. I'm going to pray that we will remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray.